The Moon Metal. Chapter 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Moon Metal by Garrett P. Service. Read by Betsy Bush in Marquette, Michigan, June 2007. Chapter 2 The Magician of Science. An attendant entered the room where the perplexed financiers were in session, and presented a peculiar-looking card to the President, Mr. Boone. The President took the card in his hand, and instantly fell into a brown study. So complete was his absorption that Herr Finster, the celebrated Berlin banker, who had been addressing the chair for the last two hours from the opposite end of the long table, got confused, entirely lost track of his verb, and suddenly dropped into his seat very red in the face, and wearing a most injured expression. But President Boone paid no attention except to the singular card, which he continued to turn over and over, balancing it on his fingers, and holding it now at arm's length, and then near his nose, with one eye squinted as if he were trying to look through a hole in the card. At length this odd conduct of the presiding officer drew all eyes upon the card, and then everybody shared the interest of Mr. Boone. In shape and size the card was not extraordinary, but it was composed of metal. What metal? That question had immediately arisen in Mr. Boone's mind when the card came into his hand, and now it exercised the wits of all the others. Plainly it was not tin, brass, copper, bronze, silver, aluminum, although its lightness might have suggested that metal, nor even base gold. The President, although a skilled metallurgist, confessed his inability to say what it was. So intent had he become in examining the curious bit of metal that he forgot it was a visitor's card of introduction, and did not even look for the name which it presumably bore. As he held the card up to get a better light upon it, a stray sunbeam from the window fell across the metal, and instantly it bloomed with exquisite colors. The President's chair, being in the darker end of the room, the radiant card suffused the atmosphere about him with a faint rose tint, playing with surprising liveliness into alternate canary color and violet. The effect upon the company of clear-headed financiers was extremely remarkable. The unknown metal appeared to exercise a kind of mesmeric influence, its soft hues blending together in a chromatic harmony which captivated the sense of vision, as the ears are charmed by a perfectly rendered song gradually all gathered in an eager group around the President's chair. "'What can it be?' was repeated from lip to lip. "'Did you ever see anything like it?' asked Mr. Boone for the twentieth time. None of them had ever seen the like of it. A spell fell upon the assemblage. For five minutes no one spoke, while Mr. Boone continued to chase the flickering sunbeam with the wonderful card. Suddenly the silence was broken by a voice— which had a touch of awe in it. It must be the metal. The speaker was an English financier, first lord of the treasury, Honorable James Hampton Jones, K.C.B. Immediately everybody echoed his remark, and the strain being thus relieved, the spell dropped from them, and several laughed loudly over their momentary aberration. President Boone recollected himself, and coloring slightly, placed the card flat on the table, in order more clearly to see the name. In plain red letters it stood forth with such surprising distinctness that Mr. Boone wondered why he had so long overlooked it. 
Dr. Max Six. "'Tell the gentleman to come in,' said the President, and thereupon the attendant threw open the door. The owner of the mysterious card fixed every eye as he entered. He was several inches more than six feet in height. His complexion was very dark. His eyes were intensely black, bright, and deep-set. His eyebrows were bushy and upcurled at the ends. His sable hair was close-trimmed, and his ears were narrow, pointed at the top, and prominent. He wore black mustaches covering only half the width of his lip and drawn into projecting needles at each side, while a spiked black beard adorned the middle of his chin. He smiled as he stepped confidently forward with a courtly bow, but it was a very disconcerting smile, because it more than half resembled a sneer. This uncommon person did not wait to be addressed. "'I have come to solve your problem,' he said, facing President Boone, who had swung round on his pivoted chair. "'The medal!' exclaimed everybody in a breath, and with a unanimity and excitement which would have astonished them if they had been spectators instead of actors of the scene, the tall stranger bowed and smiled again. "'Just so,' he said. "'What do you think of it?' "'It is beautiful!' Again the reply came from every mouth simultaneously, and again, if the speakers could have been listeners, they would have wondered not only at their earnestness, but at their words. For why should they instantly and unanimously pronounce that beautiful, which they had not even seen? But every man knew he had seen it, for instinctively their minds reverted to the card and recognized in it the metal referred to. The mesmeric spell seemed once more to fall upon the assemblage, for the financiers noticed nothing remarkable in the next act of the stranger, which was to take a chair, uninvited, at the table, and the moment he sat down he became the presiding officer as naturally as if he had just been elected to that post. They all waited for him to speak, and when he opened his mouth they listened with breathless attention. His words were of the best English but there was some peculiarity which they had already noticed, either in his voice or his manner of enunciation, which struck all of the listeners as denoting a foreigner. But none of them could satisfactorily place him, neither the Americans, the Englishmen, the Germans, the Frenchmen, the Russians, the Austrians, the Italians, the Spaniards, the Turks, the Japanese, or the Chinese at the board could decide to what race or nationality the stranger belonged. This medal, he began, taking the card from Mr. Boone's hand, I have discovered and named. I call it artemisium. I can produce it in the pure form, abundantly enough to replace gold, giving it the same relative value that gold possessed when it was the universal standard. As Dr. Six spoke, he snapped the card with his thumbnail, and it fluttered with quivering hues, like a hummingbird hovering over a flower. He seemed to await a reply, and President Boone asked, "'What guarantee can you give that the supply would be adequate and continuous?' "'I will conduct a committee of this Congress to mine in the Rocky Mountains, where, in anticipation of the event, I have accumulated enough refined artemisium to provide every civilized land with an amount of coin equivalent to that which is formerly held in gold. I can then satisfy you of my ability to maintain the production.' "'But how do we know that this medal of yours will answer the purpose?' "'Try it,' was the laconic reply. "'There is another difficulty,' 
perused the president. People will not accept a new metal in place of gold unless they are convinced that it possesses equal intrinsic value. They must first become familiar with it, and it must be abundant enough and desirable enough to be used sparingly in the arts just as gold was. I have provided for all that, said the stranger, with one of his disconcerting smiles. I assure you that there will be no trouble with the people. They will be only too eager to get and to use the metal. Let me show you. He stepped to the door and immediately returned with two black attendants bearing a large tray filled with articles shaped from the same metal as that of which the card was composed. The financiers all jumped to their feet with exclamations of surprise and admiration and gathered round the tray, whose dazzling contents lighted up the corner of the room where it had been placed as if the moon were shining there. There were elegantly formed vases, adorned with artistic figures, embossed and incised, and glowing with delicate colors which shimmered in tiny waves with the slightest motion of the tray. Cups, pins, finger-rings, earrings, watch-chains, combs, studs, lockets, medals, tableware, models of coins, in brief. Almost every article in the fabrication of which precious metals have been employed was to be seen there in profusion and all composed of the strange new metal, which everybody on the spot declared was far more splendid than gold. "'Do you think it will answer?' asked Dr. Six. "'We do,' was the unanimous reply. All then resumed their seats at the table, the tray with its magnificent array having been placed in the center of the board. This display had a remarkable influence. Confidence awoke in the breasts of the financiers, the dark clouds that had oppressed them rolled off, and the prospect grew decidedly brighter. "'What terms do you demand?' at length asked Mr. Boone, cheerfully rubbing his hands. "'I must have military protection for my mine and reducing works,' replied Dr. Six. "'Then I shall ask the return of one per cent on the circulating medium, together with the privilege of disposing of a certain amount of the metal, to be limited by agreement, to the public for use in the arts.' Of the proceeds of the sale, I will pay ten per cent to the government in consideration of its protection. But, exclaimed President Boone, that will make you the richest man who ever lived. Undoubtedly, was the reply. Why, added Mr. Boone, opening his eyes wider as the facts continued to dawn upon him, you will become the financial dictator of the whole world. Undoubtedly, again responded Dr. Six, unmoved. That is what I propose to become. My discovery entitles me to no less. But, remember, I place myself under government inspection and restriction. I should not be allowed to flood the market, even if I were disposed to do so. But my own interest would restrain me. It is to my advantage that artemisium, once adopted, shall remain stable in value. A shadow of doubt suddenly crossed the President's face. Suppose your secret is discovered, he said. Surely your mine will not remain the only one. If you in so short a time have been able to accumulate an immense quantity of the new metal, it must be extremely abundant. Others will discover it, and then where shall we be? While Mr. Boone uttered these words, those who were watching Dr. Six, as the President was not, resembled persons whose startled eyes are fixed upon a wild beast preparing to spring. As Mr. Boone ceased speaking, he turned towards the visitor, and instantly his lips fell apart and his face paled. 
Dr. Six had drawn himself up to his full stature, and his features were distorted with that peculiar mocking smile which had now returned with a concentrated expression of mingled self-confidence and disdain. "'Will you have relief or not?' he asked in a dry, hard voice. "'What can you do? I alone possess the secret which can restore industry and commerce. If you reject my offer, do you think a second one will come?' President Boone found voice to reply stammeringly, "'I did not mean to suggest a rejection of the offer. I only wished to inquire if you thought it probable that there would be no repetition of what occurred after gold was found at the South Pole.' "'The earth may be full of my metal,' returned Dr. Six, almost fiercely. "'But so long as I alone possess the knowledge how to extract it, is it of any more worth than common dirt?' "'But come,' he added, after a pause in softening his manner, "'I have other schemes. Will you, as representatives of the leading nations, undertake the introduction of artemisium as a substitute for gold, or will you not?' "'Can we not have time for deliberation?' asked President Boone. "'Yes, one hour. Within that time I shall return to learn your decision,' replied Dr. Six, rising and preparing to depart. "'I leave these things.' pointing to the tray, in your keeping, and significantly, I trust your decision will be a wise one. His curious smile again curved his lips, and shot the ends of his mustache upward. And the influence of that smile remained in the room when he had closed the door behind him. The financiers gazed at one another for several minutes in silence. Then they turned towards the coruscating metal that filled the tray. End of chapter 2. This recording is in the public domain.